morning so far. Man, we've been blessed both services. Uh, thank you again, Steve, for coming out and blessing us this morning. Uh, I, you know what? I, I don't have a sermon this morning. It's a celebration Sunday, and we are just worshiping and celebrating together. Um, but I did want to come up and take a, a moment here before we take communion and just kind of tell you uh, what we're going to be doing um, this summer, explaining kind of where we're going this summer um, for Sunday mornings, and, and that really just means July and August. So the next two months, we are going to be going through a number of different psalms. Uh, they are, there's 150 psalms. We will not be going through every single one of them. I mean, it take us years how we do it at this church. We're going to be going through probably nine out of those 150, just to get a small sample of the different types of songs that are out there. And if you're not familiar with the Psalms, the book of Psalms, it's often called the hymn book of ancient Judaism and the Christian church. It's a book full of poems and Psalms and honestly prayers to the Lord. To be honest, growing up um, and even partway through seminary, I wasn't a big, I don't know how to say this, I wasn't a big fan or I didn't appreciate the Psalms uh, the way I do now. I, I, I'm just not an artist. I'm not a musician. Um, I appreciate really good music, but um, that's just not me. I'm not a huge fan of poetry. Really going to seminary, I love deep theology. I love apologetics, um, but didn't quite understand or get the Psalms. That all radically changed uh, halfway through seminary, and I've talked about this before, but, but I think it's important to mention again. I, I took one class in seminary that changed all that when it came to the, the book of Psalms. It was a spiritual disciplines class, and the teacher was teaching how to pray, and, and specifically how to pray through Scripture. And he said, especially praying through the Psalms, because the Psalms are a book and full of prayers to, to God. So it was during that time I started praying through the Psalms and using the Psalms, uh, guiding my prayers. And, and it did a couple things. One, it radically changed my prayer life. I'm one of those guys that uh, hears about these uh, uh, faithful men in history that would spend hours on their knees in prayer, and I'm just like, I cannot do that. I try to pray for 10 minutes, and my mind starts wandering, and I'm looking for my cell phone or, you know, whatever it is. That changed when I started praying through the Psalms. I really can sit down for a half hour, hour straight, and, and the time will fly as I pray through the Psalms. That really helped guide me, and it's one of the things I really wanted to share with the congregation and how valuable that is. Uh, that's one thing that happened. It changed my prayer life, but I, I started really appreciating the Psalms, and I found out the Psalms really resonated with me. It, it knew almost exactly what I was feeling as I was going through the Psalms, my struggles, my joys, my, my hopes, my prayers. And to be honest, today I probably read the Psalms more than any other book in Scripture on average. I have a deep love and appreciation for the Psalms. So I'm, I'm very excited for these next two months to kind of go through a couple of my favorite Psalms. About two years ago, um, we studied the Psalms with the high schoolers, and it was a huge blessing. And I really learned two things going through the Psalms and studying them in-depthly. One, the Psalms are actually surprisingly deep theologically. Really, the Psalms are foundational to the New Testament in a lot of ways. So it's one thing I learned, but second, 
I learned that the Psalms are very human. That's the part that kind of resonated to me when I was praying through them. They're very human. I believe the Psalms, more than probably any other book in Scripture, Old and New Testament, kind of display the dual authorship of Scripture. That Scripture was written by men. We see the humanity in the Psalms. We see the honesty of men writing about their struggles and their relationship with the Lord. Yet, these men were inspired by God, and it was exactly what God want written. So God is the author, and we see the depth of the Psalms. For example, Psalms 110 is one of the deepest portions of Scripture. And so deep and so interconnected with all of Scripture, it points to Genesis, and it goes all the way to the New Testament. and connects it all. It's, a, it's amazing to think that a man wrote it at all. Yet on the other side, on the other hand, Psalm 73 or Psalms 88 are so human. I encourage you to go read those two Psalms tonight. They're so human. It's almost hard to believe that God inspired them. So human, honestly, so, and just so honest. It's encouraging. It's encouraging because God inspired men to be honest with their struggles. Because God knew we would have struggles. God was letting us know that we are not alone in these struggles. I also learned in these two years, uh, or about two years ago, studying um, in the Psalms, that the Psalms point forward to Jesus. Luke says, or the Gospel of Luke, Jesus spoke to his disciples in, in Luke 24, verse 44. He said this to the disciples. He said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. In other words, Jesus was saying, the Psalms point to me. And he gets real specific in verse 45. He says this, Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written, so Psalms are included in this, it's written in the Psalms, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. In other words, Jesus claims that the Psalms point to Jesus' sufferings and the salvation offered to the nations. In other words, really, the Psalms point to the gospel, point to the good news of Jesus. And I've used this example before, but Psalms 22 is, is so clear. Let me just read. This is David writing. He's crying out to the Lord in verse 1. He says this, my, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I've heard that before, right? Jesus on the cross. And it's not because Jesus was quoting Psalms 22. It's because David's life and his writings pointed to Jesus. It's when David cried out in verse 1 of Psalms 22, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It pointed to Jesus on the cross. And it even gets crazier than that. And like I said, I've, I've read this a number of times, but it's amazing to me that this was written thousands of years before Jesus on the cross. And we know for sure, because of the Dead Sea Scrolls, that the Psalms were written before Jesus. So if you're a skeptic this morning, listen to what the Psalms before Jesus has to say. Verse 14. I'm poured out like water, and all my bo bones are out of joint. And it's important to, to point out, not broken, out of joint. My heart is like wax. It's melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a pot shard. Or a pot shard. My tongue sticks to my jaw. 
You lay me in the dust of death, for dogs encompass me, and a company of evildoers encircle me. They have pierced my hands and feet. This is thousands of years before crucifixion was even invented. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothes they cast lots. This points to Jesus. David starts fading, and Jesus is clearly seen. Psalms 22 obviously is about Jesus, and, and that's because David understood as he was writing the Psalms that his life pointed forward to a descendant that would be greater than him. His life pointed to Jesus. And, and here's the deal. Nearly half the Psalms are attributed to David. So some scholars argue for reading all the Davidic Psalms in some sense pointing to Jesus. I believe, and this is disputed, but I, I believe just from my experience and my studying in the Psalms that the book of Psalms as a whole points to Jesus. In other words, every Psalm in some sense points to Jesus. That means... They point to the gospel, the good news of Jesus, and therefore, the reason I bring all this up this morning, this summer series in the Psalms is going to be very gospel-focused. With that said, I want to encourage you as a congregation to invite your non-Christian friends to church this summer. Ephesians 4 makes it very clear that my job as a pastor, especially up here preaching and teaching, is to equip the saints— Right? Equip those that are saved within the church. This is what it says in Ephesians 4.11. And he gave, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, that's the pastors and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. In other words, my job as a pastor is to teach Christians, to preach to Christians Sunday morning, so that you are equipped to go out to the, the community and share the gospel clearly. But because the Psalms are so gospel-focused, we're going to do that. I'm going to be preaching to the church this summer, but the next two months are just really good months to invite non-Christian friends to hear a clear gospel presentation. I'm going to be mindful of that as we go through the Psalms. And at the end of the service, Craig is going to, to talk about a tool that we'd like to use and to give to you guys to, to help invite friends, neighbors, relatives that are from Tehachapi, to come to church that may not have a church or may not be saved. All this to say, I'm excited for the summer and for the next two months. I'm excited to be in the Psalms. And we're about to take communion this morning, but I'd like to actually pray through a Psalms before we do that. If you want to, you can turn to Psalm 67, or you can just bow your heads with me. Psalm 67, we're going to pray through this psalm. Psalm 67, verse 1. If you would pray with me. My God, be gracious to us. Bless us and make your face to shine upon us, Lord. We pray that for our church, God, that you bless us, that you're gracious to us, that your face shines upon us, that your way may be known on the earth, your saving power among the nations, God, that, that the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ would be heard outside these walls, that you, you have blessed us so much with salvation, Lord, with resources as a church, Lord, that, that the good news will go past these four walls into our community and even beyond that, Lord, to the nations. Let the people praise you, O oh God. Let, the, let all the peoples praise you. 
Let the nations be glad and seen for joy, for you judge the people with equity and guide the nations upon the earth, Lord God. We pray, Lord, that the gospel message is heard and accepted and that you, you, you infiltrate into those nations that are so spiritually dead, Lord. Bring life, God, that there may be joy, as this psalm says. Let the people praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase, God. Our God shall, be, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the earth fear him. Lord, we know that the blessings that you have poured out on us, just like Israel, the blessings you poured out on Israel were meant to be shared and, and, and to go out to the nations, Lord. And I pray that our heart as a church, Lord, is, as we worship you in joy this morning, is that joy would spread to our community, that salvation would spread to our community and beyond our community to the world, Lord. Be with us, Lord. Thank you for your blessing. In your son's name, amen. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for your word. Thank you for giving it to us, Lord, giving us um, all, with, all that we need. You tell us that your word is inspired by you, breathed by you, as a matter of fact, and that it is profitable or that it is useful for all the things of life. So, Lord, as we uh, look to your word today, I pray that we would, uh, we would see its usefulness and that you would speak to us. Holy Spirit, uh, I'm grateful that you, um, you know the hearts of men you know what we need to hear. You know exactly how all of this needs to go today. So I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would um, be mighty in your ministry, as Jesus told us. You bring to mind the things that God teaches at just the right time. We also read in your word that you help us to discern, so may we discern what we need to hear today. Lord, I also uh, pray that just like in the book of Acts, that you would supernaturally allow our ears to hear exactly what we need to hear and uh, would soften our hearts that we would receive it. Thank you, Lord, um, and we pray that you would just, again, bless our time. In your name we pray, amen. So as we've gone through the last, over the course of the last year on Celebration Sundays, I've been privileged with the opportunity to teach on different facets of the Lord's Supper. Um, we've, we've kind of in modern, in fact, uh, in studying this week, one of those things was that, that it, around the time of the Reformation, kind of even as a backlash of the Catholic Church's, no offense, wrong perceptions of the Lord's Supper, that the Reformed, early Reformed Church kind of um, treated it a little bit differently. And so I think that so over the course of the last hundred, several hundred years, it's just become kind of an add-on part of our church service rather than the big element of worship that it truly is. And so I've just really enjoyed this, and I feel privileged to be able to be teaching on this um, Let's just go to the text. Go ahead and bring up um, 1 Corinthians 10. If you have your scripture with you, go ahead and open it. If not, um, if tech team, if you'd put it up on the board for us, um, 1 Corinthians 10. We're just going to look at some of the different facets because there's so much more going on in the Lord's Supper than we, than we oftentimes take, um, take notice of. So I'll just mention it as we go through. Um, you know, and interestingly enough, you know, Nathan made a comment um, about the Psalms were, were obviously not yet written as they prophesied about Christ. First Corinthians, the letter to the church at Corinth, was written 
well before the gospel accounts were recorded. So when Paul says this in 1 Corinthians um, 10, verse 23, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. He's saying, I didn't get this from other men. This is what Jesus himself told me about the Lord's Supper. This is what Jesus told me. Not what I heard from the apostles, not what I read in the Gospels, not what I read in a John MacArthur commentary, but rather what Jesus himself told me about the Lord's Supper. Paul in his letter to them. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, there's one facet, one element, thanksgiving, thankfulness. When he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Another facet or element of the Lord's Supper, it's a a matter of remembrance. Do this in remembrance of me. And what is it that we're remembering? We looked at this, maybe the very first time I had an opportunity to teach, which was a year ago. So in case you don't remember, there was really four things that we're remembering. There's many, many more, but the four main things are who Jesus is, what Jesus did, what Jesus is doing, and what Jesus will do. So who is Jesus? He's the Son of God. He is God incarnate. What did he do? He lived a perfect, sinless life and then went to the cross and shed his blood for the forgiveness of our, sinful, our, sinful, our sins, our sinful selves, the sins that we commit, and then was resurrected again to guarantee our resurrection What is he doing now? He's sitting on the right hand of the Father, interceding on our behalf. And what is it that he's going to do? He's going to come again for us. He's going to come back for his people. So there's the things that we remember. right? So verse 25, In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, You know, I'm really sorry. I read ahead to the wrong thing. So I'll just continue on, but I'm going to go back real quick. Um, And first, I'll I'll continue on with where I'm at. I'm sorry, I threw myself off here. We will drink the cup and proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We're in verse 26 of chapter 11. So um, most of you were with the program. I just was not. Verse 26, for as often as you eat the bread and you drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We declare the gospel until he comes, another element or facet. That's actually the one we're going to talk about today. Verse 27, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Here we see self-examination. Another element of the Lord's Supper that we would settle down, take the time to evaluate where we are in relation and our relationship to the Lord. Verse 29. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body and eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill. Some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat alone at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. And about other things, I will give directions when I come. We have cause for great celebration, amen? Let's turn back together, if you would, um, take us to 1 Corinthians 10, because this is an important part of it as well, and it's what we looked at last time we studied God's Word together. And this is 1 Corinthians 10, verse 16. 
The cup of blessing that we bless is not, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of one bread. Participation or fellowship, uh, another element, as I mentioned, and um, the, it's the fellowship aspect. It's Jesus draws us into fellowship with him through the Lord's Supper, but he also draws us into fellowship with one another. So the Lord's Supper is, is unifying, not only with us and God, but unifying as the body of Christ, uh, as we studied last time. But again, as I mentioned, there's cause for great celebration, and there are other things in here that I haven't mentioned, but those are just you know some that really have jumped out at me, and as I've poured over this, I've really been excited to, uh, to be able to, again, teach you on these things. So today we're going to look at 11, chapter 11, verse 26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You declare the gospel until Jesus Christ comes again. So what is the gospel? You know, first we need to know, if we're going to declare the gospel, what is the gospel? Just simply put, someone, someone share with us. What is the gospel? Christ died for us. That's right. Why did he die? For our sins. That's right. Why did he have to die for our sins? Because we were under judgment. What was that, Sharon? Yeah, he's, he was the sinless sacrifice. We're sinful. We can't, we can't save ourselves. The truth is, is that not only can we not save ourselves, we would not choose to save ourselves. We would be like pigs in a sty, happy to wallow in the mud, the muck and the mire. We would be happy to wallow in our sin. So yeah, the gospel is the good news. Well, there is no good news without bad news. So what is the bad news? Well, the bad news is, is that we are born separated from God. We come into this, we are not born good and turn bad. Our first sin does not make us sinners. We are born into a state of sin. Um, it's oftentimes well said that we are not sinners because we sin, we sin because we are sinners. The reason that we sin is because we are sinners. We can't save ourselves. The truth is, is that we wouldn't save ourselves. We're sinners separated from God, and we need to be reconciled to God. We are separate um, because um, Adam and Eve. In fact, God created us. God created all of humanity to have a perfect relationship with him. Adam and Eve in the garden, right? Adam and Eve in the garden with a perfect relationship. But God gave us free will. He gave humanity free will. And what did we do with it? Adam and Eve did the very same thing that we would have done with it. They rebelled against God. They sinned against God. They, uh, they bought the lie, or they bought the lies of Satan, and they sinned against God. So consequently, we are born estranged from God himself. So that's the bad news. The fact is, is we need to be reconciled to God. Um, scripture tells us that there is only one way to be reconciled to God. What is that one way, church family? How is that? Say it. Amen, brother. No one will enter heaven other than through Jesus Christ. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me, quote Jesus. That's right. So the fact is, is that we can only get to God through heaven. 
It's not what is the way, but who is the way. Who is the way to heaven? So um, the elements of the Lord's Supper tell us of that good news, the good news of Jesus Christ, the good news that we can't save ourselves or we're separated from God, the bad news, but the good news is, is we can be reconciled to God, but we can only be reconciled to God through his son, Jesus Christ. And the elements of the Lord's Supper represent that. They tell that story in a unique way. Let's, let's take a look or let's, let's talk about the elements. You know, first is the bread. In fact, you know, the Passover meal, we talked about the very first time out, Passover meal is a Old Testament observation of the, uh, the story of the Exodus, you know, with all of these great symbols that all foretell of the coming of Jesus Christ and the, and, and the ultimate work that he would do. Jesus, on the night that he is betrayed, simmers it all down to a good reduction, makes it quite simple for us, probably because he knew in his sovereignty what society would become like, and that if, if we had to celebrate the Passover as a people today, we would struggle to ever get it done, because we just don't live like that. And unfortunately, he gave us something simple and easy to do, the Lord's Supper. It says the bread, the element of the bread. He says, this is my body broken for you. What else does Jesus say about the bread? What are some other things we've heard Jesus say in Scripture about the bread? What does he say? What's that? I am the bread of life. He says, I am the bread of life. Sure, what other things about, about bread do we hear there? Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Um, different things, different things. He's quoting the Old Testament. Bread is symbolic of nourishment. The bread, the bread that, is, um, that we take in, the, the symbolism that, that we see in taking that in, in the, at the Lord's Supper is that we imbibe or we eat. Jesus says, you'll have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Obviously, Jesus is not telling us that we're to become cannibals. So what is he saying there? He's saying that symbolically, we're going to take this and we're going to take him in. When we eat or take in the, breath of, the bread of life, what happens? What happens to bread in us in a realistic way, in a biological way? What happens? We eat it, and it becomes assimilated by our body. It becomes a part of who we are. In fact, you know, uh, in a bad analogy, if we eat too much bread, what happens? If we take in too much Christ, it's never this. It's always this. But, you know, in, in, you know, in all analogies break down at some point. But, um, you know, when we, when we take in the bread in the Lord's Supper, we're you know, taking in Christ. We are becoming one with the bread when we eat it. It's becoming one with us. Likewise, when we take in the bread of life, we become one with him. It's beautiful symbolism. Taking him into our life means we become one, one with him. The cup, the cup is wine or juice, some blood-colored um, liquid, a drink, Leviticus 17.11 says that there can be no forgiveness of sin uh, without blood, without the shedding of blood, that the forgiveness of sin only comes through the shedding of blood. Our Old Testament brothers and sisters sacrificed what they felt to be was the perfect or spotless lamb. It was the best they had to offer. But likewise, the Old Testament saints offered that lamb on a regular basis, and it wasn't for um, continuing or ongoing salvation, for, for us continuing ongoing um, forgiveness. Rather, they had to do it with regularity. They had to do it often. Jesus comes along and says, I, in fact, John the Baptist declares this of him, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the, of the world. Behold the spotless Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. So, when Jesus Christ sheds his blood, 
we see something unique and different that we, we would never see through the shedding of the blood of any um, sacrificial animal. We have a temporal being giving, having its blood given on our behalf. But when Jesus Christ comes and gives his blood, when he sheds his blood for the forgiveness of our sins, we have an eternal sacrifice that offers an eternal forgiveness and ultimately eternal salvation. Amen is right. So um, he's fully God, he's fully man, and he offers something that none other, no, no other being, human or, or otherwise, could ever offer. He offers up the perfect salvation is shed blood. So now what about our part in this? So now it says, because it says that when you eat the bread and you drink the cup, you declare the gospel, you proclaim the faith. Um, you proclaim the Lord's death. Here's how I see this. Here's how we participate now in all of this. When the symbolic elements come down in front of you, when they come down the aisle and you pass the plate with, these, with the bread or with the, with the uh, fruit of the vine, you're going to say one of two things. You're either going to say, I need you and trust you, Lord Jesus, to forgive my sins and to give me life, to give health to my soul. For only by your sacrifice and shed blood can I be saved. So you're going to say that by participating. Or you're going to let it pass you by, and you're going to say, I don't. I don't. So much like the gospel, we accept it or we don't. There's no in-between. There's no I sort of did. There's no I sort of didn't. There's no I kind of. Yes or no. Saved, unsaved. Participating, not participating. So, right now, we declare the gospel as we participate in the Lord's Supper, and we have an opportunity to declare the gospel. And um, there are so many, you know, so much uh, background, and we had more time, we could talk a little bit about the different views of closed communion versus evangelistic communion. But the truth is, is do you see, brothers and sisters, how we participate in this when we have an opportunity to say no? We have an opportunity to say yes, just like in, in the gospel when it was first presented to us back on that beautiful day. We had an opportunity to say no or yes to the God of the universe. So um, right now, we've got an opportunity to declare the gospel together. Um, we're gathered here as God's people. We're gathered here to do this. So I'm going to ask the ushers if they would prepare, and I will meet them down at the Lord's Supper table, and we will do this together right now. So as the ushers come forward, I want to remember as we eat the bread and we drink the cup, we proclaim the Lord's death. We proclaim the gospel. We have an opportunity, brothers and sisters, right now to do something different. You know, one of the things I mentioned uh, that are the elements that we observe are a time of reflection. Also, very symbolic in this way, you know, as we bow our heads right now, we can, we can reflect on several different things. We can reflect on Where's our relationship with the Lord at right now? Where are we at right now? Where are you at with, with the Lord? Do you have unrepentant sin in your lives, brothers and sisters? Now's the time. Let's go ahead and bow our heads together. Maybe right now um, you're not reconciled to someone. Maybe there is a brother or sister that you need to make things right with. It's the time. This is the time to commit to it. Or maybe we've bowed our heads. Um, as a church, we believe that God is absolutely sovereign over all things, that we are all here today 
because of God's ordination. But at the same time, he gives us free will and he gives us the opportunity to do the things that we want. How the two come together uh, is something that happens in the spiritual realm that I don't know, but I know that God is fully in charge yet I know we have free will. So you're here today. uh, Maybe you don't know the Lord yet. Maybe you're here today and you're here as a guest. You're here, you're invited. You don't, maybe you don't even know why you're here. Um, I'll tell you, it's because the Lord has prompted you to be here. The Holy Spirit is ministering to your heart. And you're here today because God wants you to be here today. So if your head is bowed and that's where you're at today, it's a great opportunity to to say, Lord, I I can't do it on my own. I'm here today because I realize now I need you. I'm separated from you, God, and I am miserable with it. I need you, Jesus. I accept your free gift of eternal life. I thank you that your body was sacrificed and your blood was shed so that I can be forgiven and I can belong to you. So whatever it is you're you're praying right now, I'm going to give you a few moments to just pray that prayer and to think those thoughts and to, to commit these things to the Lord. Right now, the elements of the Lord's Supper are going to be coming by and you have that opportunity to say yes and acknowledge your need or to say no. For as often as you eat this bread, you declare the Lord's death until he comes. His resurrection. Saving work. A somber moment, no doubt, as we reflect on our sin, but we also have much to rejoice in as well. Jesus, in the night that he was betrayed, took the bread and he said, this is my body given for you, given for us, brothers and sisters. We have cause for great celebration, brothers and sisters. Amen? Amen. Amen. The blood of Christ shed for the forgiveness of our sins. That's what we're celebrating right now. Let this not be a somber moment any longer, but rather an opportunity to rejoice. We are the children of the God of the universe. Children of the God of the universe. Let that sink in for a moment. That's too much. That's too much. That's more than we should be able to handle. Lord, thank you that um, you are still in the business of saving souls. Thank you, almighty God, that you have not grown weary, but instead are excited each and every day. You say that all of heaven rejoices with every new person that comes into your family. Lord, may we have that kind of zeal. Lord, I know, too, that you have put people in our lives, again, in your sovereignty. You know who we can evangelize, who we can share the good news of your son with. So, Lord, I pray that you would just um, make clear to us who it is you would have us invite. Lord, I pray, too, that you would, um, if we don't need these tools, that's great. But if we do um, need something to help us, Lord, that you would use these tools to... Um, to grow us, to sanctify us, to make us more like your son, Jesus, who was never afraid to invite others to become a part of the kingdom of God. Lord, um, as we close now, I just ask your blessing on your people, on us all. I thank you, Lord, that we can gather here together. And again, that we have so much to celebrate. In fact, you, uh, you tell us in your word, uh, John writes that if, uh, if he were to have recorded all the miracles, that there wouldn't be any trees left. Likewise, Lord, if we were to spend time celebrating and reviewing everything that you've done, there would be no time left. Father, thank you that we have all eternity to do that. Now, Lord, um, with the blessing that you gave us in that psalm we prayed today, 
May the Lord bless us and keep us. May the Lord make his face to shine upon us as he is gracious unto us. Lord, lift up your countenance upon us as you give us your peace in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.